Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Last week, we began sharing about some of the characteristics of people who make it through tough spots, tight places in life. We talked about Moses, he and the children of Israel standing between a rock and a hard place. They had just left Egypt, and they were headed toward the promised land. There before them was the Red Sea, behind them approaching fast, Pharaoh, the Egyptian army. It's a tough spot. They can't go forwards. They can't go backwards. But as we learned, Moses found a way to navigate through those tough spots. Number one is that he recognized that God had a plan. Number two was that to face our greatest fear is an acknowledging that God is greater than our greatest fear. And number three was finding that next step that God was calling us to do, the next step of faith. Well, today we're going to focus on the event in the life of another Old Testament character, this one being David. As our story will unfold for us, he is probably just a teenager. He is going to be faced one-on-one with a giant named Goliath. Now, immediately upon hearing that, you're saying, I know something of that story. I know about David and Goliath. Even if you weren't brought up in church, most people have heard of the story. Millions of people around the world are named David. Thousands of flagpoles in Israel carry the flag with the star of David on it. 56 chapters in the Bible detail life from David's perspective. And Michelangelo carved a 14-foot marble statue of David. Perhaps you've seen that. We know something about David. Even secular media will use the David and Goliath scenario when somebody is facing incredible odds. But every time you read the stories in the Bible, even times when you read stories that you're so familiar with, like the David and Goliath story, there seems to be so many new things to learn And as we read this this morning, we're going to come away, hopefully, with the answer to the question, how do I defeat the giants in my life? 1 Samuel chapter 17 opens with the army of the Philistines about ready to engage in battle with the army that is led by King Saul of Israel and his people. And so, This is how the story begins to unfold. This is 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at verse 3. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another, with a valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Now, that's a little over nine feet tall. And you're going to see in just a moment, he was incredibly strong as well. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor weighing 5,000 shekels. His armor weighed 150 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft 
was like a weaver's rod. And its iron point, just the iron point on the end of the spear, weighed 600 shekels, which is about 19 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Meaning, aren't we the victorious ones? And are you not the servants of Saul, like you all of the little people? Choose a man, and have him come down to me, come down and meet me in this valley. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Philistine, Goliath, said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all of Israel, they were dismayed. They were terrified. Let me give you a little historical background as to why the soldiers of Israel were so terrified. You see, the Philistines began as a seafaring people, but once they landed in the Middle East, they quickly developed five pretty advanced fortified cities, each ruled over by a vicious king. The Philistines had entered the Iron Age well before the Israelites, so therefore their weaponry was far superior, and they knew how to use it for mass destruction. Many times they would place swords in the wheels of their chariots so that as they went through an evading army, the swords would mow down people like we would mow grass. There were times, if you read 1 Samuel in the earlier chapters, where the Israelites and the Philistines were in battle, and sometimes the Israelites won, sometimes the Philistines won. But on one occasion, the Philistines slaughtered over 30,000 of the Israelites, and that was fresh on their minds. No doubt they were terrified. And the way that the Philistines carried on in battle was not uncommon for that day. Instead of getting a whole army just to engage each other, what they would do was send out one champion, and that one champion would challenge and taunt the enemy forces, hoping that they would send out a champion. And those two then would go head to head. They each represented their army. They each represented their nation of people. And so the losing side would either retreat or have to surrender. The Philistines had chosen their champion well. This over nine-foot bad dude who was like had a PhD in assault and battery. I mean, this guy was larger than Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he's challenging, and he's taunting, and he's calling out. He wants somebody to fight, but nobody would. Well, at this point in the story, David hasn't appeared on the scene. We can guess he's either too small and or too young, so his dad does not let him go into battle. But three of the oldest brothers of David have gone into battle with King Saul. And there comes a point after 40 days, in fact, that Jesse, David's dad, says, you know what, we need to check on the boys. So, David, why don't you take lunch, go meet your brothers, and then come back and, and give me a report. So, here's this teenager with his superhero lunchbox, 
And as he's heading to the front lines to meet with his brothers, he hears Goliath. And he hears the taunting against the armies of the living God. And David can't believe his ears. Why hasn't someone done something? Our story picks back up at verse 26. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Picking up at verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to King Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to King Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, David, speaking of himself, will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine." Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. What Saul's saying is, good luck, and we'll be behind you all the way. I mean, like way, way behind you. The story continues, verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head, David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, Goliath, with shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you in my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head this very day. I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. 
all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Yeah, I'd be running too, but not toward the battle line. Reaching into his bag and pulling out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. We read a story of such courage, David's courage, and it begs the question for us, how can I become that courageous? How can I have a heart of, of a lion swell up within me? You know, all of us have our giants, big things, dark things, shadows that tend to block out the sun. Who have been your giants? An unfaithful spouse, an abusive parent, an overbearing boss? What have your giants been? Financial giants, career giants, health giants, addiction giants? And you wonder, when I face my giant, will I succeed or fail? Will I advance or retreat? Some of you have faced a giant for a long time. The Israelites can relate to that. The Bible says every day for 40 days, Goliath would get up, walk down the valley, look up the mountainside where the Israelite soldiers were hiding behind the rocks, calling out to them, taunting them. He would challenge them. And because they are God's people, in a way, he's challenging their God Every day, all day, day after day, hour after hour, wearing them down, beating them down, and they, they hid. By the time David arrives on the scene, it's time for someone to do something. Maybe that time has come for you. Your giant has been there a while, and for whatever reason, you've chosen not to engage in battle, but... Maybe the time has come for you to do something. Giants must be faced and can be defeated. So based on this story, I want to share with you three theological observations, which I'm going to put into three characteristics of giant killers. You see, David wasn't ready to face Goliath years earlier. So number one, giant killers live with a perspective of preparation. David would not have been able to face Goliath years earlier. He had to be prepared for this task. The Bible speaks a little bit about that preparation. In verse 15, one of the verses I skipped over previously, it tells a little bit about what David had been doing, was still doing, even as the time that this battle was about to wage it says in verse 15, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So what was David doing? He was being a shepherd. A pretty inauspicious beginning for a giant killer, don't you think? 
But you see, giant killers don't begin by being giant killers. David wasn't ready to face Goliath earlier, but learning his lessons in the lonely places, in the private places of life, prepared David for what was about to confront him. You see, God had been preparing David for that moment, readying him, teaching him lessons of faith and trust and courage. So when the time came to defeat the giants, David was ready to do it. The the same is true for us, that we must be faithful in those lonely places, in the little things. Do you want to be ready to face your giant? Then be faithful with the little things. You heard David testify about his preparation, how he would defeat the lion and the bear with the Lord's help. Have you been allowing God to prepare you, teach you, train you, so that you'll be victorious in the big challenges of life? God wants to get you ready, but you you must be a willing disciple of His. You must be faithful in the little tasks faithful in the little challenges along the way, in the places where no one sees, no one knows. But those are the tests to show when you're ready. You see, David has already been disregarded by his brothers, overlooked by his father. Perhaps only a few sheep thought he was special, but then again, have you ever known a sheep to applaud when a shepherd saves their life? Never known of a sheep to stroke the ego of their shepherd. But David used those lonely places like a schoolroom, and God taught him lessons well. You know, David could have wasted those school years. He could have just lived as a shepherd in mediocrity with this motto. Bear comes up, run the other way. Lion comes up, look the other way. Who's going to know? If you're a Christian and you're facing a Goliath right now, I'd like to encourage you. If you've been walking with the Lord, if you've been learning to trust Him, you've seen His power in times past, you're learning your lessons of courage and faith, I want to tell you, you're ready for this giant. You're ready for this battle because God has prepared you for this day. And if you're not a Christian, today would be a great day to give your life to Jesus. And you may ask, well, why would I do that? Or how could I do that? Maybe you've come across this broadcast just because you're you're curious. What is it that makes Christians so hopeful? Well, I'll tell you. It's because we serve a God who is bigger than our problems. But I'll share a little bit more about that in a few moments. So the second thing, so if the first characteristic of a giant killer was that they live with the perspective of preparation, number two is that giant killers see not what can be, but what is. Let me say that again. Giant killers see what can be, not what is. Do you know that's the definition of faith? Hebrews 11, chapter 1 says, faith is believing in what you cannot see. This is why David is known as a man of faith. 
He was able to see and believe in things like victory over Goliath when no one else could see it. He was able to see that God was bigger than his problem when no one else could see it. The question that weighed so heavily on the minds and hearts of the Israelite people was this question, how big is Goliath to man? Wrong question. The right question when you're facing a giant is, how big is this giant to God? See, you and I tend to focus on our giants, and I understand why. Giants are easy to see. You can see your giant. You can name your giant. Cancer, broken relationship, financial calamity, sin in my life. It gets so big and we obsess on it so that those giants are easy to see. And the question is not, can you see my giant? The question is, can you see God? It's important to be able to see God when you're facing a giant. There are times when God is all you have. People around you won't be there through thick and thin. And even when they try, they won't be able to answer every solution for you. David couldn't find help from his fellow soldiers. They were shivering in their boots. His brothers said nothing could be done. Saul says to David, you're too little, you're ill-equipped. Saul thought he might help by giving David his armor. You know why Saul was giving his armor away? Because he wasn't going to use it. But not only could David not fit into Saul's armor, he didn't want it because he wasn't familiar with it. That's why David picked up a sling and a pocket full of rocks. But isn't it true that sometimes when we face problems, we'll say, God, if I just had something else, I could get through this. If I just had a, another education degree, I could get through this. If I just had better friends, more money. If I just had a different spouse, different kids, I'd get through this. But instead of it being about what you don't have, God wants you to use what you do have. Last week, the story of Moses. We had gone farther into the story than this about Moses, but when he was first called by God to be a leader of his people, Moses talked about what he didn't have. And he says to God, I, I, I can't. I can't speak for your people. I, I, I stutter when I talk. And God, in effect, says, well, don't tell me what you don't have, Moses. What do you have? Moses said, well, I've got this stick. God said, I'll use that stick. And all throughout the story of Moses, God is using that stick, that staff. Or think about the New Testament story. Jesus has just been teaching a crowd of people. It's getting late in the day. The disciples want to know, okay, what are we going to do with this group? Shouldn't we send them home? It's dinner time. We don't have enough food. We don't even have enough funds. And the disciples are asking Jesus, what do we do? And Jesus, in effect, is saying, don't tell me what you don't have. Tell me what you do have. And they come to him with a boy's lunch. Okay, we've got two pieces of fish and a few loaves of bread. Jesus is good. I'll use that. 
And with that one lunch, he fed 5,000. Instead of telling God what you don't have, offer to him what you do have, even though it may seem insignificant to you. And then watch God use it to help you get through the problems. What is your giant? What is creating the most fear in your life? What is it that makes you stay up late? What is it that's depressing you, disappointing you, hurting your heart? If you were to name it and and write it down, what would it be? And then if you were to write it down, put underneath it, but my God is bigger. Now, I don't have to know what you wrote on that giant line. I don't even have to know how many things you wrote on that giant line. The last line is still true, but my God is bigger. The third character trait of giant killers is the quality of humility. Notice how David gives credit where credit is due. Although he's not always perfect at it, one quality upon display in David's life often is his being a humble servant of God. In today's story, we heard David say to Goliath, this day the Lord will give you into my hands and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Do you hear the humility in that? David is not saying, hey, look at me. He's saying, hey, look at God. He's not saying, look how strong I am. He's saying, look how strong God is. David is not trying to make a name for himself. He is trying to elevate the name of the Lord God Almighty. There's another way to tell how humble David was and wanted God to get all of the glory. You see, David was the writer of most of the longest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms, 150 chapters long. Each one of them is like a different song. And David wrote most of them. He was a songwriter. And in all the songs, David never mentions killing Goliath. That's humility. If I were a songwriter and I had killed Goliath, oh, I would have written about it. You'd be singing about it. David's heart didn't need the credit. His reason for getting through this tough spot successfully wasn't to make his life easier. He understood he was a man called by God. He was serving God, and he wanted to stand successfully in a difficult place so that other people would look at this event and give honor and glory and credit to God. It's all about allowing the battlefields of life to become a platform where the power of God is displayed. Let me run that by you again. It's all about allowing the battlefields of life to, come up, to become a platform where the power of God is displayed. It's so the world doesn't see me, but it sees God through me. Now, if you're still with me at this point and you're not a Christian, let me share with you why you'd want to become one and how. First of all, I need you to know this. God loves you, and He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to give you life and peace. 
The Bible says, in perhaps the most famous of all verses, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So why don't more people experience this life? There's a problem in all of our lives, and that's sin. Sin separates us from a holy God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then what do we do? Well, we have tried to bridge that gap. Our disobedience allows that gap to be there. And we've tried to bridge it with good works, morality, philosophy, religions. They can't do it. The Bible says there is only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, God has provided the bridge. The Bible says He personally carried the load of our sins in His own body when He died on the cross. He died on the cross in our place for our sins. Jesus Christ is the only one who could do that. So how do you then become a Christian? You trust Him. You acknowledge that you're a sinner. You receive His grace and His love, His death on the cross for you, and you simply trust Him. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You're a Christian. Tell somebody. Text it. Let us know at the church. I can reach out to you if you want to talk more. I'd I'd love those opportunities. Tell somebody. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you know He died on the cross for you, He is now all over your life, and He wants to bring you peace and joy no matter what's going on. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.